Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible. We've been journeying through the book of Matthew. We've been through Matthew 1, 2, 3, and 4, and now we come to Matthew chapter 5, which is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It is in Matthew 5, we see the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and it continues through Matthew uh, chapter 6 and 7. Mountains of literature and dissertations have been produced discussing, debating, and diving into these words of Christ. And over the next several episodes, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and find out what Jesus is telling us. Now, it's no mistake that Matthew put this sermon at the beginning of his gospel. Before any of the miracles of Jesus outside of the Incarnation, before we really get into the meat of what his three years of ministry looked like, we get this sermon that explains what the kingdom he came to bring is all about. Now, this is the first of five discourses we see from Jesus in the book of Matthew, and it is the longest discourse we see in all of the Gospels. Now, I want us to notice the one message that is prior to this kingdom discourse is John the Baptist and Jesus both proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the prerequisite for entrance to this kingdom. Repentance. It is surrendering ourselves to the king. And as such, we understand that the Sermon on the Mount is not an evangelistic type message, but it is a message for those of us who have surrendered our lives to the King. It is a kingdom message. This is the constitution of the kingdom. It outlines the character of its subjects, the expected behavior of its subjects, and the expected relationship between the subjects and the King. Now, there are several ways of looking at the sermon, and probably till the end of time, people will be, will be dissecting it and bringing different perspectives to this. Some people choose to look at the sermon as simply an example of good moral living. And it certainly does give us an example of what Jesus is looking for in his people. Others look for it as a wisdom discourse, similar to other wisdom literature. And it certainly is full of wisdom. Yet others even look at it as unapproachable demands, much like the law of Moses was. There are elements of all these and more within the sermon, but at the end of the day we land on the fact that these are words of the King Jesus, meant to be taken and followed. We won't get it perfect. We will fall short. We will fail. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will get back up. He is my King, and I, as his subject, desire to please him with my life. There's also uh, a tension felt throughout this sermon, and it's really, it's the term given uh, inaugurated eschatology, or uh, you could put it already, not yet. There's this tension of already having his kingdom come in the person of Jesus 
and his church. Yet we are waiting for the full realization of his kingdom. That won't happen until the end of time. So throughout the sermon, we feel this tension of already having access to his kingdom, but we're still waiting for the fullness of his kingdom to come. We feel the tension of seeing these characteristics and desiring to follow these characteristics, but understanding that we're not going to fully see or follow these characteristics until his kingdom fully comes. There are hundreds and thousands, if not more, of outlines of the sermon. There's so much here that Jesus speaks on. Now, for our purposes here in this podcast, we're going to follow a fairly simple outline uh, to work our way through the sermon. And we're just going to see the sermon really built, um, broken into three parts. One, that's the character of the kingdom. Two, the influence of the kingdom. And three, the righteousness of the kingdom. The character of the kingdom uh, is really the starting point. Before we get to the standards of behavior, we see the character traits of a subject of the kingdom of heaven. And that's going to be chapter 5, 1 through 11. It's, it's what we know as the Beatitudes. Then chapter 5, 12 through 16, we're going to be talking about the influence of the kingdom. That's going to be the salt and light discourse that, that Jesus brings. And then we're going to take the last uh, or the, the uh, rest of the sermon and put it under the heading of righteousness in the kingdom. Subheadings under that, Christ came to fulfill the law, chapter 5, 17 through 20. Uh, there's a, a lot of interpersonal relationship from Jesus, chapter 5, verse 21 through 48. Then there's talk about relationship with God in chapter 6, 1 through 34. And then just a, in chapter 7, really chapter 7 just deals with some a, a variety of issues. Just I'm labeling it as genuine righteousness. Many commentaries bring significance about the setting. Jesus goes up on a mountain to teach them. Now perhaps in the eyes of the Jewish multitude that surrounded him, they were reminded in that moment of Moses going up to the mountain of God to receive the law of God. Whether they realized that or not, this is certainly what Jesus was doing. As Moses brought the precepts of the law of God, the conditions of the Mosaic covenant, so Jesus was here bringing the precepts of the kingdom of God to his people. He was outlining what it looks like for people on earth to live under the new covenant that he was ushering in. Moses went up the mountain to hear from God. Jesus came down to the mountain to speak as God. Now, as we look at Matthew chapter 5, right off the bat, I see a great amount of care and love from Jesus. In Matthew 5, 1, we read that Jesus began teaching as a result of seeing the multitudes. And by the end of the sermon, we see the people who were listening were amazed at his teaching because of the authority with which he taught. For me, this brings to mind the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, in John 14, 26, which says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. God is in the business of helping us, of teaching us. He is concerned with our lives, how we live our lives, how we walk on this earth, and he has provided us his Holy Spirit to help us through. And so before we really dive into uh, the content of the Sermon on the Mount, which we will do in the following episodes, I really want to provide a framework or a foundation for us to build upon um, of, understand, of things we need to understand to fully grasp what Jesus is saying to us. And there's a few things. First, I want us to understand that God is king. Second, I want us to understand that God is active now. 
Third, we are to submit to his kingship. And fourth, the kingdom is a kingdom of community. These are the four foundational principles that I want to bring about and and bring across. And hopefully we understand these principles so that we can look at the sermon in light of these principles. So firstly, we see the sermon as the constitution of the kingdom. Well, if there is a kingdom, there must be a king. That king is God. That king is Jesus. And as such, he is the king. And as such, he has the right to make the rules. He has the right to enforce the rules. He has the right to tell us how to live. This is a difficult concept to grasp in America. Democracy and quote-unquote the people have a voice is so deeply ingrained within us that it is difficult for us to escape our, our temporal experience and not project that experience onto the reality of God. But in the kingdom of heaven, there is a king, which means this is not a democratic relationship. This is a king-subject relationship. Throughout scripture, God declares himself king. And even at the end of the book, as we look to the future, the end times are about Jesus coming back as conquering king and establishing his kingdom fully among us. We must remember that as king, God is all wise. He is all good. He is all just. He is all love. That is the kind of king worth serving. And this is so foundational to us understanding the sermon. God is king. And because God is king, he has the authority to lay out such an authoritative message. Let's just take an overview of, of some of the content, some of the stuff that he declares in the Sermon on the Mount here in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. He lays out the type of characteristics people need to possess. We, we know those as the Beatitudes. He lays out the way that we interact with those outside the kingdom. He said, be salt, be light. He said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He lays out how we should treat others the way that we want to be treated. We know that as the golden rule. He lays out demands in interpersonal relationships. He talks about anger, lust, greed, divorce, retaliation, and more. He talks about spiritual disciplines, giving, fasting, and praying. And over all of these subjects and more, as we will see, he lays it out in an authoritative way. And that's why we see at the end of the sermon, at the end of chapter 7, that the crowd was amazed at the authority with which Jesus taught. What other authority can lay down principles and expectations in all these areas but the king over all things? So we understand that God is king, but I also want us to grasp that God is active now. We're not just in waiting in the future kingdom for him to come and be active then, but he is active now. We don't have to wait and see God move. We don't have to wait to experience the working of the Lord. This is the message of all scripture, that God is and wants to be involved in your life. This beautiful truth that God is active now, it gives life to the demands we find within the sermon. We cannot read the sermon without the help of the Holy Spirit, and we can't live the sermon without the help of the Holy Spirit. You see, it is because God is active now that I can live out a life of blessed are the peacemakers. 
It is because God is active now that I can live out a life where I love my enemy. It is because God is active now that I can listen to his words on do not be anxious about anything because your father is going to take care of you. That's a current act of care from our father. The fact God is active now is what gives breath to ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened. The fact that God is active now is what gives us the faith to pray for God to provide us our daily bread as we see in the Lord's Prayer. So that's a beautiful truth that God is active now. And so it's one that we must remember as we read and, and discuss the, the lessons of the Sermon on the Mount. We must remember that God is active now. So God is king. God is active now. Well, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in a place where we are to submit to his kingship. This is what we do when we enter his kingdom. In that moment of repentance, we are submitting to his kingship. We realize our place in the scheme of eternity, which is under submission to his kingship. As we read through the sermon, we read with it, read it with the understanding that these are not suggestions. This is not simply one of many strategies on how to live a good life. These are commands and conditions laid out by the king of the universe. Our response can only be one of two. We either reject his kingship and live life according to our desires, or we submit to his kingship and walk according to his design. You see, as we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to realize that there is so much in there that is counterintuitive to the flesh. Let's just look at the Beatitudes, for example, in 5, 3, verse 3 through 11. He's seeking people who are poor in spirit, meek, who mourn, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers. None of these things are natural or easy for us in our flesh. The very thought of light and salt is that we stand out in the world around us. We are different. We don't live, talk, walk like they do. We stand out. How we interact with people according to the teachings of Jesus here is different than how our flesh wants to act. Even the Lord's Prayer goes against the way our flesh wants to pray. All of this requires us to submit to his authority and king as king. And the last thing, the fourth thing that I want us to grasp to help us walk through this sermon is that the kingdom is a kingdom of community. In the age of individuality, it is refreshing to read these words of Christ that are so community-centric. This, in fact, was a major point in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book on the sermon, The Cost of Discipleship. We go back to the fact that from the beginning, God has been about relationship, about communion. And this still remains true. And it is how he has and will establish his kingdom. We are entering a communion, not only with God, but we are entering true communion with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we anticipate and look forward to that for eternity. We will be communing not only with God, but with all who have accepted Jesus as their Savior. How much of the sermon is centered around interpersonal relationships? Hint, it's, it's a lot. And even the Lord's Prayer uses community language. You, you listen to the Lord's Prayer. You, you don't hear I, we, I, or me. You hear our Father in heaven. You hear forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We hear give us our daily bread. We hear lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Even the Lord's Prayer uses community language, and that that kind of language is so is throughout the sermon. And so we understand that this is not an individual kingdom that we are in, but it is a community kingdom, and God is concerned about community. God is concerned about us being in community. And so as a review, as we dive into over the next couple of weeks the Sermon on the Mount, this is the constitution of the kingdom It is not suggestion, but this is how Jesus wants us as subjects of his kingdom to live. There's a tension in there. There's some aspects of the kingdom that we're not going to fully realize until the day he returns. We understand that God is king. This is foundational to the sermon. God is king and as such he has the right to make the rules. But God is active now. We don't have to wait for him to be active. He is active in our lives now and today. And that is what gives life to so much of the sermon. We are to submit to his kingship. And we understand that the kingdom is a kingdom of community. I really look forward to the next few weeks as we dive into uh, the sermon. Next week, we're going to be uh, looking at the Beatitudes and particularly the word uh, blessed, and which in Greek is makarios. I'm really, really excited about that because I think... Uh, Um, There's just a lot that I've learned that hopefully will open up our eyes to understand what Jesus was saying there, particularly in the Beatitudes. I thank you for listening. I pray always that this is a a blessing and a help uh, to you as we dive into God's Word together. May the Lord's blessings be upon you as you read His Word.